Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation. First, this bulletin from the WOR newsroom. Six members of one family have been found shot to death in their night clothes in their expensive home in Amityville, Long Island. The only available information at this moment, according to the Amityville Village Police, is that the, mem- the victims have been identified as members of the DeFeo family. They were found by a 23-year-old son, Ronald DeFeo, who is believed to be the only surviving member of the family. Six members of the family found shot to death in their home in Amityville, Long Island. We will have further details on the 11 o'clock news. Hey, welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man who may not be funny, good-looking, or smart, but, well, I forgot where I was going with this. It's Dale. <laughs> well, none out of three ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, buddy? What's up, man? I'm so happy to be back. I am glad to have you back. That's awesome. Man. Down with the COVID and back. I'm back. Man. Yeah, it wasn't really bad. Just uh, couldn't move them around nobody. So, yeah. you know, but everybody's good and kicked out on that. So we just, uh, we're ready to back and rock and roll. I mean, your uh, interview was really killer. Sorry Thank I you. couldn't be here. But, Thank uh, you. But it was really good. Well, I appreciate you letting me go ahead and do it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we had Todd waiting. What do you mean letting you? I didn't let well, you. Well, I you insisted. Know, well, Todd was great. Yeah. We had him booked for a little while to do this and... Man. Yeah, definitely didn't want to lose that chance. So, yeah. and it, it was great. Yeah, good, good interview. Yeah, and maybe have a follow up on that something sometime soon. Okay, cool. Yeah, you got any good shout outs or anything to inform us on? I do. I have uh, a big old shout out. We want to be a big old shout out to uh, Jennifer Orcutt. Uh, me and uh, she uh, dropped a big old chunk of change in a in her her uh, jar back at Christmas, and somehow or another. Uh, you've overlooked it to let me know to give that shout out well we took a couple weeks off and yeah i'd had it wrote down and i forgot about it and so. between moving studio and all that stuff we just did it but we want to make sure we get that in there and i hope i keep talking in my mic and uh we just want to make sure she knows it is very 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 appreciated we thank you jennifer orcutt you are awesome and uh since uh, doing that, won't you uh, send Donnie or email us your address, and we will send you some cool stuff. I'm sorry. Just email me at uh, crackhousechronicles at gmail.com, and uh, Jennifer, I'll send you something really cool. Yeah, get in touch with us. You deserve it. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Yep. Anything else you want to talk about before we get started? Uh, no, just just happy to be here, man. It's a... Uh, so what is this Friday night? We're recording on a Friday, Friday night. night yeah. and it's gonna be a good day, and I'm feeling good, and I'm just tickled to be here. Yep. And if Let's anybody start. wants, go Let's ahead. you guys. I'm sorry. Oh, and if anybody wants to be like Jennifer and go to the website and drop some change in the tip jar, leaves us some gas money. Yeah. By all means, do it. Yeah, we appreciate it because we don't get much of nothing. <laughs> no. Sell a few T-shirts and some mugs and things like that. That's right. You can check out the store page and buy you something. It, we are self-financed, most of It helps keep the, the light bulb on here in the crack house. Yeah, it's a little bit dim. This, it, it brightened up at Christmas, didn't it? It did, man. <laughs> Jennifer really helped out a lot. I appreciate you. Yep. 
And if anybody wants to, go to Apple Podcast and click on that five star and leave a rate and review. Or a Spotify. You can go on there and leave a rating now. Absolutely. That's really cool. Yep. A lot of folks don't know about that. And if you don't, it's not on yours. You just need to update your app. Yep. If anybody does that, we'll give you a good shout out. That's right. We appreciate y'all guys. We, we some shout outers. No, we we'll give <laughs> we'll give credit where credit is due. That's right. And we're three minutes in. Somebody's gonna complain. We'll let them complain. I'm gonna do it's tickled to be here. Man. No, I'm glad to have you back. I was lonely. <laughs> lonely at the top. Of it. it is. <laughs> and I'll tell you, when I was doing the interview with Todd, um, I had to. I done the interview, then I went back and recorded the the intro part, and you know, just tied it all together. I went through it like six times to try to, <laughs> you know, get the intro just right and what I was gonna say about you and oh. everything. So yeah, to clean the Xbox out and all that. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate the kind words, brother. Uh, you're welcome, man. All right, enough of that. All righty. We're going to get into our episode, man. Let's do it. And Dale, this week, this is our 96th episode. 96. We're pushing 100. Man, that's really cool. Yep. And this one, we are doing the DeFeo family murders. DeFeo. Ronald DeFeo Jr., to be exact. That's right. And just a little bit of backstory on the DeFeos. They were a family of seven, and they purchased a house in 1965 right ronald defeo senior and his wife louise and they had ronald jr which i think some people called him butch yeah and they had a daughter dawn allison uh son mark and another son john Mm -hmm. and dale these six members of the family they were murdered in their sleep yes they were on the in the early morning hours of november 13th 1974 it's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, that house they bought, it was on uh, 112 Ocean Avenue in Amity, Long Island. Yep. Or Amityville, I'm sorry. Yep. Now, the DeFeo family, they were originally from Brooklyn, New York. Right. And Ronald DeFeo Sr., he was working as a service manager at his wife Louise's family car dealership. Yeah. Her 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 father was a big-time Buick dealer in uh, Brooklyn. And Ronald Sr., he even dubbed the family's home high hopes i think they had a sign outdoors and mm-hmm. outside on the yeah. house called high hopes <laughs> and they moved from brooklyn and that's when they bought their house and they had high hopes dale they but I mean, everything wasn't too good in the family though their problems wasn't even paranormal no you know because they made a movie about this yep amityville horror that you know it's not really related to what we're doing today but it wasn't anything paranormal no ronald defeo senior you know this is the the dad he was working at the car dealership dale and he was a, a verbally and physically abusive man. Yeah, he kind of ruled with iron fist, that, yep. kind of, that kind of dad. Yep. And he was physically abusive toward his wife and the kids. Mm-hmm. And besides Louise, his main target was uh, Ronald Jr. Right. And, well, you know, he was the oldest, so he, you know he was going to be the whipping boy. Yeah. But Ronald's friends, they were afraid to go over to the house because mm. they had seen Ronald Sr. just... Fly, yeah go ahead yeah just fly into a rage and and hit louise or or butch or any of the kids wow so you know he was a bad dude yeah that's not cool and they said he was always yelling and butch was even bullied at school where he was uh beaten up a lot and called fat yeah yeah fat and fat back and kind of stuff you know how yep. it is yep. you know, it's not bullying it's not cool either and ronald's father 
he tried to get him to stand up to himself and fight back to the bullies, but I don't think it went too well. well he's probably doing a lot of tough love stuff, you know, yeah. like, well, I'm going to teach you a lesson. You need to do this and do that. And probably went well overboard with what he was trying to get across. And probably in his mind, it wasn't as bad as he thought, but I'm sure it was worse. As Ronald uh, Jr. got older, uh, Dale, his temper got worse than his father's. Mm. He and his father would often get into fights. You know, they'd be button heads. Yeah. It's kind of like um, two alpha males in the house kind of thing. Exactly what I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. And Ronald Jr., he he was described as unpredictable. His temper would flare for no reason at all, and his parents became concerned that, and they even sent him to a psychiatrist. Yeah, but he, he didn't want no part of that. No, huh? He's like, man, I don't think I need that. And he, he refused to go. And they just, I think they just bowed down to him and started just giving him whatever he wanted. Yeah, they just, well, they tried to, tried other, other things and nothing seemed to be working, so they just made it even worse when they just, you know, just, like you said, give him what he wanted, and, you know, and just basically, I don't want to say buying him off because that sounds bad, but, you know, just giving him everything and anything he wanted. Just, uh, like, I don't know, pacify him maybe? Right, yeah. Kind of thing? And they even uh, got him a uh, speedboat. Yeah, not a cheap one either. It's like a $14,000 speedboat. So you're looking back in the 70s. So uh, when you, what do you call that? Calculate inflation? Yeah, when you calculate it up, that's about a 100000 now. $100,000 speedboat? Yeah. Today? Yeah. That's a nice speedboat. That's a nice one. Yeah. Which they live right there on the water. I bet that was cool. You got to be because it was a boathouse. Yeah, they had a boathouse and everything. Right. When Ronald Jr. was in high school, he was asked to leave. Yeah, and he began to use LSD and heroin, Mm. and his behavior got unpredictable and even more violent. I'm sure it wasn't going to get better for that. That's not a very good, either one of them, plus mixing them together. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there was one time he was on a hunting trip with some friends, and he aimed his rifle at a man he knew since childhood. Mm. And the man left when Ronald Jr. saw his friend later that day, and he asked him, why he left so soon. So basically, he threatened to kill him and then ask him why why he left. Yeah. Yeah, like, like well, he yeah. didn't think nothing about it. Point a gun at me, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. Now, when um, Ronald Jr. turned 18, he began working for his father. Right. And he was given a weekly paycheck, Dale, whether he showed up to work or not. So basically, he's getting a salary. Yeah, he was just getting a, yeah. He's getting a salary to work at the dealership. Yeah. Yeah. And Butch worked in the service department. He was doing oil changes and tune-ups and washes, I guess, just doing anything back there. When he done anything. In the shop part, I guess. And he admitted later that he took advantage of working for the family. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you know, usually if if you're working for your family or something, some kind of thing, yeah, you're going to have to work as hard or maybe sometimes harder than the regular employees just because they expect that much out of you. But that wasn't the case here. Mm-hmm. He just kind of done what he wanted and... For them just trying to keep him happy, they just paid him and he worked when he wanted. And he got paid whether he showed up or not. Right. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he once told a psychiatrist that he could do whatever he wanted because the job, because of his father, was the boss. Right. And nobody wanted to make him mad, you know. Yep. And there was a bar called the Chatterbox, and there was a lady that worked there. Her name was uh, Deborah Constantino. Constantino. Yeah, and... He would, you know, Butch would go in there and get beers and things like that. And uh, she even said that he was usually a nice guy except for when he drank. Mm. And she recalled him throwing bar stools and pool cues. Mm. And he's probably on heroin and acid. Probably was. (laughs) 
And Ronald Jr. had a girlfriend at the time. Her name was Sherry Klein. And she recalls an incident when he went to her apartment with some friends, and they got pretty rowdy when she tried to calm him down. And he shoved her across the room. Mm. And she reportedly climbed through a window and went to her parents' house to get away from him. Yeah, so this guy's he's, he's got a trigger temper. I think if, he, if he's on drugs or something or drinking, something's triggering his, that much quicker, yeah. his mind. It's going to yeah, like you get violent really quick. Yeah. Now, Dale, there was one time the neighbors, uh, they described an incident with a woman named Mrs. Nemeth. Right. And she said that Ronald Jr. accused their daughter of throwing rocks at a relig- yeah, religious shrine that they had in their front yard. And when she insisted that her daughter wouldn't do anything like that, uh, Ronald Jr. got angry and started yelling at her. And he said if she were a man, she would he would have punched her in the face. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah, temper, temper. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't punch her in the face. Yeah, me too. Now, we're going to get up close to the time of the family murders, Dale. And in just the weeks leading up to the murders, uh, Ronald Jr. threatened his father with a gun yeah. during an argument. And his father had trusted he didn't just threaten him with a gun he put a shotgun to his head and pulled a trigger yeah but it just didn't go off whether it was now i've heard two different things where it just didn't go off and it malfunctions or i don't know so i don't know if it was maybe it wasn't loaded or just just he was just lucky that day yeah but anyway he threatened his father with a gun yeah and what it was his father had trusted him with making a twenty thousand dollar deposit from the dealership and Ronald Jr. said that the money was stolen, but, you know, his father, Ronald Sr., didn't believe him. No. And when the police questioned him about the robbery, he was described as being uncooperative and even getting violent. Right. And the thing about that the thing, you know, if we've read and seen a couple of different things. This is a big deposit for a dealership, but it was like only, what, $1,200 cash and the rest was checks or something, right? Yeah. So I was like, it's kind of odd that you would really put that much on the line for... 600 bucks a piece but apparently they did mm-hmm. so i don't know yeah so kind of odd to me yeah it is kind of odd but you know i'm not buying the getting robbed yeah no no definitely not no uh-uh. but now in november of 1974 uh, ronald jr he was 23 years old and still working for his father mm-hmm. and he was on probation at this time he had pled guilty to having a stolen outboard motor and Dale, he admitted he kept the job at the dealership because he could come and go as he pleased, like we said. Plus, he needed to pay. He pays those for his probation officer. Yes, that's right. Well, yeah. hell, he had it made. Why would he quit? Exactly. I mean, he got <laughs> he to work. He didn't have to show up, really. Yeah, he got paid whether he showed up or not. Right. Dang. He had it made. All right, now, Dale, on November the 13th, Ronald Jr. left early for work. Yep. And he stopped at a luncheonette to pass the time as he waited for the dealership to open. Yeah. I think it was like like 6 in the morning, so that was kind of odd. Yep. Anyway. And he left work early to meet with his girlfriend, Sherry, and he also met with a friend named Bobby Kelsky. Mm -hmm. And he complained to both of them throughout the day that he wasn't able to get in touch with his family. And he said that all the cars were in the garage, but that no one was answering the phone. I wonder wonder how he knew that. I don't know. He even called home in front of his girlfriend. Right. And at 6 p.m. that day, he was sitting at Henry's Bar. This wasn't too far from the house. Right. And he tried to call home again and complain to his friends about getting no answer. Right. So he's been complaining since 6 o'clock that morning that nobody's answering the phone and he's really worried about it. Of course, and he's right there at the bar near his house, but 
<laughs> he, he went to go check on anybody. Exactly. That don't seem weird at all. No. And he said he was going to go home and break into the house through the window. And at around 6.30 p.m., he returned to the bar and called out to the patrons, you know, all the people in the bar, and said that his parents had been shot. Hmm. Said, yo, yo, y'all got to help me. I think my parents have been shot. So he's going to go back to the bar and tell them he's, they've been shot and not call the police. <laughs> right. That just don't make no sense. No, not at all. Yep. And a group of his friends left the bar with him. Right. And they went to the house, and they discovered that the family was all dead. Yeah, a friend of his actually went in to found his parents dead. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah, and a friend of his, like Dale said, Joseph, I guess I said, this is how you pronounce his name. His name was Joseph Yesser. Yesser. Yeah, Y-E-S-S-I-R, Yesser. Yesser. <laughs> but anyway, he called the police. Right. And the bodies of Ronald Jr.'s entire family were found dead. Right. And they were lying, all dressed in their, I guess, pajamas or nightclothes or whatever you want to call them. Right. In their beds. Now, the deputy chief medical examiner, his name was Harold Edelman. He would later determine that the Fayo family bled to death in their beds due to gunshot wounds. Mm-hmm. And the murder weapon was a thirty-five caliber Marlin rifle. The parents were shot twice and each of the children once. Uh, Ronald DeFeo Sr., this is the dad, he was 43 at the time. He was shot twice in the lower back. One bullet exploded into, into his kidney and exited his right nipple on the bed. Mm. And the other entered the base of the spine and was lodged in his neck. Just think about that. It went all the way up, straight up through him, right? Dang. So I guess whoever, well, I guess when he was shot, they probably come to the door, standing at the foot of the bed, and shot him, you know, and him laying in the bed. So it would go parallel right through yeah yeah that's 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 crazy man Mm -hmm. now ronald senior couldn't have been alive for just uh, just a few minutes after being shot and the waistband of his shorts was pulled down a bit indicating that he had moved upward as he died right you know try just trying to struggle to slide up yeah yeah now ronald jr's mother louise she was 43 she was also shot twice and the bullets entered her right flank of her chest and one bullet landed on the mattress, and the other came out of the middle of the chest and re-entered her left breast and wrist. So I don't know if she had her arm tucked under or what. I don't yeah, know. I almost have to. Yeah, you think. And the bullet shattered her rib cage, splintered bone, and destroyed most of her right lung, diaphragm, and liver. Wow. And even though she was face down, her chest was slightly raised from the bed, and her body was turned to the right. And the medical examiner said that she could have been alive for several minutes after being shot, uh, even up to 10 minutes. And her position indicated that she may have woken up, raised her body off the bed, and possibly looked toward the bedroom doorway toward the killer's direction. Well, you'd think so, especially if a damn rifle goes off in the middle of the night. You're probably going to see a flash. You you know, especially you hear it twice, you're going to jump up and look. You know, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, because he's... uh, Ronald Sr. was right beside of her, and she shot him twice. Mm-hmm. So she had at least, you know, a few seconds. Did they determine which one was shot first? Was it the father that was shot first? Everything I've heard, that was the yeah the, the order that he was shot first. So you'd think that the mother would have... She might not have had time to get out of the bed, but she would definitely would have had time to spin her head around to look see what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, damn. It's, you think how loud that'd be? Golly. Now, Mark... He was one of Ronald Jr.'s brothers. He was 12, and John was age 9. Both were shot in the back at close range. And the medical examiner determined that the killer stood between the beds less than two feet away. And 
just described the wounds the bullets penetrated the liver diaphragm lungs and heart of both boys mm. and the bullets went through the boys mattresses and into the box springs john who was 12 uh, his spinal cord was severed which may have caused like um, involuntary twitching of his body can you imagine right now what they're saying is these guys these kids were still sleeping right yeah so how in the hell just we're going to talk about this sometime i mean here lately but you know the the noise thing that that bothers me yeah because you know how loud a rifle is and then they're not in the same bedroom you know as as the parents and Uh i know they were on the second floor but i'm not sure where the parents bedroom is i'll have to have a look but i was just wondering how far he had to travel before he shot them how much time they would have had if they had heard something yeah you know would you get out of bed would you stay in the bed would you been scared you know yeah i mean if you shot the parents first the would the kids have woken up to the shot you would think so yeah but you know kids sleep through anything yeah but damn that's a rifle dude yeah that's and, true. you know and i'm getting ahead of myself but they've done tests later on this rifle and they said a single shot of the rifle could be heard up to a, a mile outside you know it's got to be loud in in a house yeah yeah most definitely so, you know, we'll keep going, and then we got questions about this stuff. But now, Allison, uh, Ronald Jr.'s sister, she was 13. She was shot once in the face from less than two feet away. And she may have turned around and saw the muzzle of the gun. And the bullet entered her left cheek and moved to her right ear. It then torn into her brain and damaged her skull. And the bullet exited, ripped through the mattress, hit the back wall, and ricocheted to the floor. Mm. Now, from what I can see, uh, the parents and the two brothers and the youngest daughter were all on the same floor. Okay. On the second floor. Okay. Okay. Now, Donald, she was 18. She was shot in the back of the neck from two and a half feet away. The bullet entered just below her left ear and blasted through the left temple onto her pillow, and the left side of her face collapsed. Mm. Brain particles mixed with blood was saturated all over her pillow. I can't imagine. I just don't know what went through him. No. I mean, you know, he got, he would get crazy and violent, but damn. Right. So basically they're saying that what happened is he was, everybody was sleeping this night and uh, Ronald Jr. was in his room. You know, we left out some parts where he you know, with all this money he was getting, he had a, a major gun collection and, you know, he had a new car. He spent a bunch of money on car and, and drugs and stuff, but also on some guns. So he had a... a, a semi-arsenal in his room mm-hmm. and he was up in the middle of this night and i don't know what triggered him on this night but i guess maybe he was just in there thinking about his daddy pissing him off or something and this is probably at about three o'clock in the morning is when all this happened and you know that's when he decided to go and said he walked to his his uh, mom and dad's room and then stood there at the door for a while and then that's finally when he started just open fire mm-hmm. and then he said that uh, once he did it he just he couldn't stop Yep. Which is awful. Now, Ronald Jr., he told police that he stayed home from work the day before with an upset stomach. Right. And he had watched a late-night movie, and he told him it was called Castle. No, actually called Castle Keep. And he fell asleep around 2 a.m. in the TV room. Yeah, so this is what this is what the, I'm telling the cop story, right? Yes. Okay. And he woke about 4 a.m. with pains in his stomach and said that he... Saw his brother Mark's wheelchair outside the bathroom door. Right. Yeah, he had broken his leg playing football, so he had uh, was doing like a lot of therapy and stuff, and they yeah. were, that's why the wheelchair was there. So he said he saw the light on the, in the bathroom on. Well, and, and, and heard a turtle flush. Yeah. Yeah. And he said he was 
that he was well rested from the day, so he decided to go to work. <laughs> yeah, so he was up at 4 o'clock and then decided to go to work early, so he left, got there about 6 o'clock, which makes no damn sense. He went He went to a luncheonette to wait to go to work. <laughs> so, so I was up at 4 and decided, oh, what the hell, I'm already up. I can't sleep. You know, I fell asleep at 2, woke up at 4. I think I was just going to work. Yep. Which I hate going to work anyway, but I'm going to work. Oh, get to work. Sorry, work's not open. So I'm going to go to the lunch net and wait for them to open. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're all believing this. Yeah, exactly. Now, Ronald Jr. changed the story a lot. Now, at first he told that the murders had to have been committed by a man named Louis Fellini. Yeah. And he said he was a mafia hitman. And he said that Fellini and his wife had lived with his family for a little while after the house burned down in Brooklyn. And he said that Fellini had a key to the house in which he buried in a box of money and jewels. But Ronald Jr. also said that he had a violent argument with Fellini after Fellini and his wife moved. And he said Fellini criticized a paint job that he had done for the dealership. And he described throwing a brush at Fellini, breaking the window behind him. And he also called Fellini... uh, expletive and he said that his father told him that Fellini was a professional hitman and that Ronald Jr. didn't know what he had done by calling him names mm. so so now he's putting it on the hitman yeah, exactly he's he's putting a murder on somebody else right and then at first you know they were kind of buying this that that this kid didn't do it so they had even enough to where they thought they need to put him in police custody just to protect him from this so-called hitman yeah yeah because he thought well if he's killed all these people, they he's definitely gonna come back to get you. Mm-hmm. So so far, they're buying it a little bit, I think, or at least he thinks they are. Now, Ronald Jr. also said that two weeks before the murders, during the argument about the twenty thousand dollar robbery, you know, that his feminist father got into. Right. His father said that not only did he have to worry about this phony robbery, but he also had to worry about losing a friend, meaning Fellini. Hmm. He said that uh, Ronald Jr.'s argument with Fellini put him in a position where he felt like Fellini, that if anything happened to Butch, that he was going to kill Fellini's entire family, pretty much. And Ronald Jr.'s father told him that now because of Ronald Jr., he had to watch out for Ma and the kids. Right. So he's trying to set it up where he thinks Fellini come to give him a reason to come kill everybody. Exactly. But now as um, Ronald Jr. got to talking to investigators, Dale, he... Got to telling him about some of his criminal activity. Mm-hmm. Now, he even admitted to burglarizing a neighbor's home with a friend to steal antiques to sell. Right. And he even admitted to using heroin and told them about being on probation. And when asked about how he got, how he was getting away with using drugs on probation, Ronald Jr. told him that Dawn was providing him with the urine samples. Right. And he even said in his confessions by saying that he wanted to be completely honest with him so he's trying to tell him everything he can without telling him he killed everybody yeah <laughs> tell him for everything else yeah exactly now ronald jr kept emphasizing that if that fellini had hit a box yeah he like i said he had hit a box and with some money and jewels in it and he said that the box was gone or empty then they knew that fellini had been back of course you know they never found no box yeah so he's still trying to put it off on fellini now, Ronald Jr.'s grandfather, this is Michael Briganti Sr., this is the one that owned the car dealership. Right. He arrived on the scene with his son-in-law, Vincent Proceda, and they were both asked about Ronald Jr. and Fellini, 
and his grandfather said that he knew Fellini and that he was a great guy. So all this is made up. Yeah, stuff. exactly. So he didn't know where he lived, or he didn't, he didn't know his phone number. But he knew he was a great guy. And even uh, Vincent Procida didn't think Butch was capable of committing the crimes. Yeah. Now, police continued to search the DeFeo home, and Dale, they found the thirty-five caliber Marlin rifle, and it wasn't a and it wasn't among the firearms in Butch's room, but in a separate box with a twenty-two caliber rifle. Hmm. Yeah. Wait a minute, because uh, now some stuff that I, that I found today, they said you know he got up about three o'clock in the morning, went in there and shot the dad, shot the mom, the what the two brothers, the sisters. Killed everybody. Then he went and took a shower, got it all cleaned up, yep. put his bloody clothes in a pillowcase along with the rifle. And when he drove to the so-called uh, luncheonette or whatever that morning, he actually drove to Brooklyn and threw that bag into a drainage, um, like oh, I guess like not a manhole, but a, you know a drain. Yeah. And uh, so this is a little bit different there. So I'm not sure. Now, they did say they found the box that that the rifle should have been in, you know, like where he had bought it or whatever. Found the box for a thirty five caliber Marlin rifle, but I don't know. So, mm-hmm. I don't know which one's which. A little bit of contradiction going on there. Right, so just just keep that in mind. Yeah. Okay. But now, it, it, they said after finding the murder weapon, the police focused their investigation on Ronald Jr., and when the police questioned him again, he continued to insist that they needed to find Fellini. And when asked if he ate dinner with the family that night, they found Ronald Jr.'s attitude toward his family wasn't that of a grieving son but a, and a big brother. Hmm. And Ronald Jr. said that he didn't eat dinner with his family that night. And when asked why, he said that it was because of his mother's lousy cooking. Yeah. And that she made some brown shit in a bowl for dinner, <laughs> and he wasn't going to eat it. Oh, That's, Lord. Yeah. And when asked, about, <laughs> when asked about his family, he had nothing nice to say. He described his brothers Mark and John as fucking pigs. And he said that he shared a bedroom with them and that they left it a mess, and they usually left toilet paper hanging off the toilet and shit on the back of the seat. And My God. Yeah. I mean, he had nothing nice to say about his family no. at home. He, even he's not helping himself out here a little yeah, bit. And even when asked about Dawn, um, which described he even described her as a fat fuck. Wow. Who played her music too loud. And he said that when he yelled at her to turn it down, his father would intervene and hit him. And he had nothing to say about Allison, the other sister. Right. I dang. Saying his grandfather was a cheap bastard. Yep. <laughs> Just took advantage of him stole from him any chance he got. Even though he was getting a check for free. Yeah, really. Dang this guy. Now, this is right after everybody's been killed. You just yeah. go talk to them, run them in the ground like dogs. But yeah, his family, you know, been killed, and yeah, he was being negative. Right. And police told him. <laughs> yeah, I was a little more <laughs> negative, I think. And Dale, the police told him that they found the murder weapon and the ammo. They hmm. also said that his family was determined to have been killed between 3 and 4 a.m., so they could not have been killed while Butch was at work. You know, it kind of makes a little more sense that if they did find a rifle because they knew it was a thirty-five caliber Marlin rifle pretty quick. Because and, of the... And if he had thrown a drain somewhere, it would have took him a little bit to figure it out. I yeah. mean, I guess you could look at the, the casings or whatever and figure it out because it's like a labor action, right? Yeah. Or something, so there'd be casings in there, but they could figure it out. But 
it makes more sense that they knew that really quick if they actually had found it. And the bullet fragments, you know, they could determine yeah, what, what it was. was yeah. yeah. They also found out, you know, that the, the murders happened between 3 and 4 a.m., so they knew it wasn't after Butch had went to work like he tried to play it off. Yeah. So they, they're narrowing it down a little bit, and his story's just falling apart here. Yeah. If, if it had already fell apart. It's getting a little ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then investigators were asking him, you know, if he was forced to take part in the murders. And they asked him if the two men forced him to get his hands dirty or whatever and, and kill one of the family members. And he just put his head, he put his hand down in his head, you know, and told the investigators to give him a minute. And it was like, what you got to do, think about it? I mean, Exactly. Then he said that uh, Fellini and his accomplice weren't there that night and it didn't happen that way. And then he confessed to murdering his whole family. Dang. Now, during his trial, his attorney tried to mount an insanity defense and he claimed that ronald jr heard voices that told him to kill his family Mm -hmm. and his family was plotting against him he also claimed that he was possessed and at one point he was shown a picture of his mother and claimed that he didn't know who she was he also claimed that he had killed them in self-defense he's all over the place yeah and when he first confessed to the murders he admitted to getting rid of the evidence he also made sure to call home in front of people he knew and complained to everyone he saw that day that the family was not answering the phone right so he's covering his ass so he ain't too crazy here he shows some organization and planning but it wasn't too good i mean it just it was just off the chart now psychiatrist daniel schwartz supported the insanity plea but dr harold zolan countered on behalf of the prosecution and dr zolan said that Although Ronald Jr. was a user of heroin and LSD, he had an antisocial personality disorder and was aware of his actions at the time of the crime. Hmm. But Ronald Jr. was found guilty of six counts of second-degree murder in November of 1975. Mm-hmm. Sentenced to six sentences of 25 years to life. Yep. And those were run consecutively, I think. Yeah. And DeFay, uh, Ronald Jr. filed many appeals to... And request to the parole board, but they were all denied. Yeah. Now, during the next years, he said that his mother committed the murders and that he didn't want to upset his grandfather by saying that Louise was the killer. Right. And he also said that a demonic female figure with black hands wearing a black hood handed him the murder weapon. <laughs> God. Yeah, he keeps getting crazier and changing his story all the time. But he admitted he was under the influence of drugs in the TV room at the time. And... Ronald Jr. also eventually admitted to drinking a fifth of scotch daily in addiction to the drugs. Mm. And he described his behavior around the time of the murders as out of control. Yeah. You know, and even he was even blamed uh, Dawn to be the one that killed them all and said that, uh, you know, when he come in there and seen that she had killed him, he tried to get the rifle away from her and it went off and shot her in the head. Mm-hmm. But uh, I want to kind of go back before we get out of here about but I'm all being face down in the bed. Yeah. And you think, what do you think about that? You think they don't, they didn't let them hear the rifle? Or do you know. think it was, uh, do you think he, he put made them, them lay there? I think he put them face down. He just didn't want to see their face. Right. I think he just didn't want to look at them. If they got up, he made them lay down face down in the bed. That, yeah. That makes more sense. You know, and, uh, Dawn, the oldest girl, the one that was shot in the head, she was the only one that was shot in the head. Yeah. And if you see the pictures, you know, her, she has a, a white headboard, and there's nothing on it mm-hmm. if you look at it. So a lot of people are saying, you know, they were shot somewhere and maybe put back in the bed. 
But, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how splatter, spatter would work being because it's like basically shot straight down on her in the back of the head. So I don't know. And they're saying that actually in the girls, well, there was so much blood, it was kind of hard to tell what was going on anyway. Yeah. You know, and she was on the third floor up by herself. So she would have had even more time to hear what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. It's pretty confusing. I mean, I know, well, I don't know, but as far as we know, he killed them all. Yeah. You know, and there's been other speculation the same day where he, there's no way that he could have killed them all. And, you know, with the way that they say it happened. But I don't know what else could have happened. And it was, they even was saying that maybe it was Dawn had helped him because she had had some unburned gunpowder on her nightgown and stuff and saying, you know, maybe that's from her having a weapon. But, you know, I think that was the uh, ballistics, you know, were saying that that just came from the muzzle, you know. That wasn't, that didn't happen that way either. Plus, I think they uh, they did say that it was all the same weapon, you know, that killed them all. So if he had help, it was the same gun. Yeah. Unless there were two of them. But I, I don't know. It's, it just blows my mind that, you know, nobody nobody got up and tried to run away. And, you know, even there was, you know, they went back and proved that there was definitely not a silencer used. And also they'd run samples to see if maybe the family was drugged and they were all passed out when he killed them all. And uh, all of that came up negative. It was definitely said there definitely was no silencer used. And they were saying that no uh, no uh, drugs were found in any of them system. Yeah. So it's it's pretty strange whatever the heck it was going on and i just it's just hard to believe that nobody heard it mm-hmm. we got to mention even the neighbors said they didn't even hear any gunshots but they did hear the dog outside barking i know so they hear the dog barking but they don't hear this rifle going off and it was like what uh one, two, three, four, eight eight times yeah at least, at least eight times mm-hmm. so it's it's uh you know it's not i don't know cut and dry as you say but there is some weird stuff going on here, you know. And I mean, I, I think the, I think the guy did kill them all. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it really doesn't matter to the story. But it is kind of odd to me that nobody heard it. Heard, you know, nobody woke up. Yeah, apparently. And if he did, like you said, it could have been, you know, made him didn't want to look at their face when he shot him, and maybe why he shot them all in the back. Yeah, except for his one sister and did. Had to play her music too loud and he shot her in the head, I guess. Yeah, maybe that's why he had, like I said, had him face down because he didn't want to look at him. Right. But it's pretty much a dysfunctional family. And it's, the family was described as, like I said, constantly fighting with each other and under the thumb of Ronald Sr. Right. And somebody even uh, compared it to a, a, a pressure cooker. Right. And for Ronald Jr., just to, to eventually blow up. Yep. Who knows? Maybe it was the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, when. Uh, when I was out with the with the COVID or whatever and watched 7,000 movies, I watched uh, Amityville 2, The Possession, which is basically loosely based on this. And then I watched uh, the first, the other movie, the Amityville Horror, you know, and it was based on the people who moved into the house after all this happened. And then that's when I got curious and started going, well, what really did happen? Because I knew Amityville was based off of a true story, but I never really looked into the background. And that's when I started checking into it and figured, oh, wow. So it was more... This story is actually would be more related to part two of the movie, except for the movie gets real wide and a little bit goofy. Yep. So it's pretty it's a pretty bad story, but then, you know this and then uh, the other people move in a year a year later after all this, and that's when they say and all the crazy stuff happened in the house. But 
you know, did the crazy stuff happen and make this guy go crazy? Yep. I mean, yep. I, don't, I don't really, I don't really get into that too much. But something happened to make this guy snap. I just, it just blows my mind that nobody heard this damn rifle going on. I know. And I know I keep saying that, but that just it kind of bugs me. I mean, you can Google this area and Google Google Maps, and I mean the houses are close together. Yeah. I mean it was right there. But Dale, whatever happened that night, Ronald Jr. He took it to his grave. Yeah. Because he passed away on March the twelfth. Right. 2021, just last year. Right. At the age of 69. Yeah, and he still was changing his damn story. <laughs> and he was incarcerated at Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York. So that's uh, the DeFeo family murders. Ronald DeFeo Jr. Mm-hmm. Took them all out in one night. Yeah. Pretty sad. But yeah, that's it, Dale. Oh, man. I've enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's good to be back in the crack house. I'm doing so, man. All right, bud, we are going to get out of here. Let's roll, brother. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and please always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is The The Crack Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.